1: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
2: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall, a retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
3: And as I promise every week, I am returning with another show. This is, in fact, A Different Perspective, and I am truly Kevin Randall. I am joined today again uh, by Jan Harzan, who is the executive director of MUFON. He's been a member of that organization for a long time and has worked in administration at MUFON for many years. He's interested in UFOs, of course, and that's inspired by his own sighting, which we talked about the last time he was on the program. We're going to talk about MUFON and some of the things that are going on in that organization, some of the things that happened to it. But before we get to that, in the last... uh, few days, there has been a new document released about MJ-12. We haven't had an opportunity to talk about it yet. Uh, We're going to do that briefly today. And I thought I'd bring Jan Harzon on to give his take on it uh, before I reveal mine. So Jan, welcome to the program once again.
4: Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
3: Are You're familiar with this latest document? Well, I... I
4: I've looked at it and I've read some of the things that are on the internet regarding it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't consider myself to be a document expert, but go ahead. Yes.
3: Well, I mean, my question was simply, and I realize it's your personal opinion. Uh, what was your take on this, this MJ-12 document?
4: Well, it looks like it needs a lot more vetting. Um, I guess the first thing I'd say is, you know, it's appears that it was given uh, from a privileged resource or source. Um, you'd probably like to know who, who's providing this and what's their background, you know, is it being provided um, through military channels, through intelligence channels? Is it just someone who uh, was given the document by a friend? I mean, I would like to know kind of the the genesis of where it all came from. And I I know that's sometimes difficult because sometimes when people want to leak stuff, they don't want their name known about it, but it just makes it harder to validate uh, whether it's a, a true, real document or not.
3: But wouldn't we be looking at the text of the document, realizing we don't have the original, we have merely a Xerox copy or a copy made from a PDF file, but looking at the uh, information in the document, the construction of the document, that sort of thing, doesn't that pretty well give us a clue as to the uh, validity of this this particular document? I
4: I would think so. Again, I'm not a document expert, but I understand that there's some issues with the top secret markings on the document and where those are and how they're, how they're marked. Uh, some of the references to other projects that don't appear to follow, uh, what, what's known about those projects and, and some of the classified stampings on the document. But I, I personally would leave that more to someone of a, a Stanton Friedman and, or a Dr. uh, Bob Wood who, who make it a, a living to, uh, look in, at documents and determine their, their, uh, veracity. So, um, Yes, I think that would help uh, to, to determine whether or not it's a, a real or or fake doc, for sure.
3: Well, just so the re- uh, the listeners understand, uh, this is an MJ12 document. It Allegedly is called is ultra top secret, which is the the marking is wrong on there. Uh, it deals a, a a bit with the uh, Roswell UFO case, and then it uh, morphs into the Aztec UFO crash case, and finally there's an interview by a number of different interviewers with the an extra terrestrial biological entity. And I think looking at this document from my perspective, most of the information about Roswell is just flat wrong. And when we get into the uh, stuff about Aztec, if we accept what Scott Ramsey has published in his book, then this document is flat wrong. And of course, the document is right, then, then Ramsey is wrong in his book. And I think I, I think all of that plays into it. So when we have a lack of providence and we move into the uh, problems with the document dealing with the Roswell case and the Aztec case, we can make a pretty good call that this thing is probably fraudulent, even without uh, knowing the exact providence, which is, by the way, a big red flag.
4: Yep. No, I, I, I Kevin, I, I couldn't uh, agree with you more. It's just, uh, you know, honestly, I, I don't consider myself to be a document expert, so I'm not going to weigh in on it one way or the other. But I think a lot of people are looking at this right now, and I think uh, there'll be more information posted on the Internet about it. Um, If it is, in fact, a a fraudulent document, it makes you wonder why people would go to such lengths to do this kind of a thing and what's behind all that.
3: Well, I understand, of course, that you haven't, um, I guess we say the expertise to to make a call on the document. I understand that it's it's not a big deal. Uh, I published a bunch of stuff about it on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, which is just my way to plug the blog once again. And we're coming up on uh, our first break here. Uh, when we come back with Jan Harzan, we're going to talk a little bit about the gorilla that's in the room, and then we'll morph into some uh, other information about the, uh, the MUFON organization and things like that. So we will be back right after this, so stick around. And as promised, we are back. I am joined by Jan Harzon, who is the executive director of MUFON, and we were talking about the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Uh, Several weeks ago, John Ventry, who was the uh, state director for uh, Pennsylvania and Delaware had had both posts, had uh, made a pretty racist rant on his Facebook page.
2: With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game.
5: We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick. Sorry, kids.
2: <laughs> yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.
3: And there was some reaction to it, and I know that uh, MUFON reacted to it. Uh, Jan, can you walk us through that a little bit?
4: Yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, it was an unfortunate situation where late at night, uh, John had read a, uh, fake news item somewhere on the internet about a television show on Netflix, which was about white genocide. And he reacted to that, put an unkind post up, which she, uh, pretty much immediately took down. But unfortunately someone had snapchatted it and, and started passing it around the internet. But I, I think it points up some things here and, and it, uh, the lessons we've all learned in our lives. The first is that if you have nothing good to say, don't say it. <laughs> the other is I, I, I uh, have an acronym called think, which is before you speak, think the T is for ask yourself, is it true? And in this case, it probably wasn't true. It wasn't true. It was a fake news item. H, uh, is it helpful? Uh, if not, why are you talking about it? I, is it inspiring? N, is, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? And I, fi- I find that Facebook and a lot of these social media blogs uh, turn into uh, real rubbish pits A lot of very, very quickly where people want to throw jabs at each other and take each other down. I'm not sure what that is about our society that does it, but uh, it does bring up another thought that I had, which is, you know, you should think once before you act, twice before you speak, and three times before posting on social media. I think if we all followed those rules, we'd be, we'd be in a lot better place.
3: Uh so you removed him from his position as State Director of Pennsylvania and Delaware. Correct. And he uh is still a member of MUFON though.
4: Well anyone could be a member of MUFON. You know, you just joined MUFON and you pay hey, I uh,
3: I'm, I'm not yeah. criticizing that. I'm just making sure we understand the situation that he's still a member of MUFON. What I think Jim Mosley once called a journal subscriber. He had been a state section director and I guess got demoted to journal subscriber because he wasn't recruiting enough people or something. Um so I understand that, and uh, but he's a member of the inner circle of Mufon. Is that correct? Well, when you say
4: inner circle, uh, you're talking about uh, donation levels, and yes, he's donated uh, money in the past uh, that puts him at a certain level. So it just it'd be like uh, for the symphony orchestra, you know, you're in the whatever club because you've donated so much to the to the organization. So um, we that's not something you can take away from someone. I mean, they they basically have earned it by based on their their donations.
3: But uh, doesn't the uh, website suggest that the members of the inner circle uh, influence the direction of MUFON? Well, I,
4: no, not really. I, I think if you look at it, it's very clear on there that it's based on donation level. Um, I,
3: I understand. What you're saying is the, the uh, criterion for membership in the inner circle is basically cash.
4: Well, it's donations. We're a nonprofit, five hundred one C three, and so to, to, we don't we don't get any funding from anywhere else but from the public. So, um, it's through memberships, it's through donations, it's through uh, merchandise sales, and through the symposium. That's the only places we have uh, the ability to raise money to continue the great work that we do.
3: Understood. Understood. And I have no problem with that. I'm I, I'm just saying that according to the website that the uh, Inner Circle uh, participates in. Some of the activities of the board of directors, it uh, influences where things are going. Uh, you yourself are a member of the inner circle.
4: Yep. Isn't well, that correct? I, that's true. I've donated a lot of money over the years. <laughs> yeah.
3: I, paid, I paid for the honor of working here. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. So John, John Ventry is still a member of the inner circle.
4: Well, it's not something you go into or out of. It's, not, it's basically the way it says is welcome to the inner circle. Folks mentioned on this page have shown unparalleled generosity. Or move on by doting donating in excess of five thousand dollars in a single donation that's that 's what it is that 's strictly it that 's what 's on the website
3: i understand and I've, I've read I read that over and um i've, I've seen what the benefits are of being a member of the inner circle that they get uh, phone calls from the executive director uh, they can they get cases sent to them that uh, aren't published elsewhere and in all kinds of benefits like that so I was just wondering that because he's made the cash donation he had has no other expertise there's no other criterion to join the inner circle is that that that's what you're telling me just send the money
4: well ba- yeah basically it's a donation level exactly we have a okay. benefactor level 2 at $1500 and we have lower levels too at 500 and 250 so yeah i mean that's pretty much it i mean people uh, have different means to support and we appreciate anybody's support even if it's $25 i mean that's what it requires to run an organization of this size and magnitude.
3: Uh, is Jay Z Knight a member of the Inner Circle?
4: Yes, she is.
3: Yeah, and she's the one who uh, channels the thirty-five thousand-year-old or thirty-four thousand-year-old um, Lemur- Lemurian warrior.
4: I, she may do that. I, we don't. We, we don't. We don't not turn it. If people want to donate money, we let them donate money.
3: And she has also made a number of racist rants. Are you aware of that?
4: I should remove her from being state director, but she isn't. <laughs> yes.
3: Well, I'm just saying, you know, she's, she, uh, her, her, um uh, numerian warrior, uh, supported Donald Trump, which is neither a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, uh, politics should be, should be, uh, removed from that. But she, in a drunken rant, apparently said, uh, fuck God's chosen people, meaning the Jews. I think they've earned enough cash to have paid their way out of the goddamn gas chambers by now. And then she, or rather, or 35,000-year-old Lumerian warrior, said that the Mexicans breed like rabbits. All gay men were once Catholic priests, and in a strange comment said organic fa- farmers have questionable hygiene so she's a member of the inner circle because she donated $5,000, right?
4: Well, Kevin, look, I mean, you're talking about, uh, uh, freedom of speech here. People, we don't as an organization go out and study everybody's websites and everybody's Facebook pages. That's not anything we're, we're here. We're here to study UFOs and we're here to find out what they're about and where they're from and why they're here. That's what we do as an organization. If people want to send us money, we accept their gifts, uh, if we knew it was uh, illegal money, we wouldn't take it. But uh, as far as individuals and organizations wanting to support anyone, um we welcome any kind of cash donation.
3: Well, in, in a similar uh, vein, she had given a number of Democratic candidates some $70,000, and they returned the money. Wanted nothing to do with her because of that. And I'm just wondering, now we've got two people on the inner circle who have expressed some very racist uh, opinions that i think do not really fit in with the majority of the american public and i just wondered why these people are remain in the inner circle yeah they've given you a lot of cash but you can get rid of them by giving them their money back if you if you wanted to and these are people who uh exert a certain amount of influence over the move organization and i'm not sure how that advances the scientific nature of the organization
4: well, I think I think what you're mistaking is you're thinking that because they pay this cash that they are actually controlling Mufon. Nothing could be further from the truth. <clears throat> Anybody can write to me and or talk to the board uh, and say, "Hey, I think you should do this, do that." I've never received an email from Jay Z Knight. Uh, I probably wouldn't even know I wouldn't know her if I met her on the street. So these are people who have uh, donated money, and because of that, they're part of the inner circle. It's just more like a donor board that you'd find at a museum or at a opera house or to support the organization that's all it is
3: uh, what about what about our good friend um john grace
4: and uh, what about you're,
3: him? you're familiar with him
4: i do know john yes
3: and uh he masqueraded i guess as val valerian and is, i uh, don't Mc... think
4: i don't know i don't think that's the same guy honestly you
3: don't but... think it's the same guy no that's uh, that's why i asked to make sure.
4: I'm pretty darn sure it's not the right same guy. <laughs> not the John Grace I know.
3: Okay. Um, well, he, the, the, the John Grace that we found on the Internet, of course, is uh, also uh, produced the Krill Report, which dealt with, I think, MJ-12 and some of the documents like that.
4: Yeah, it's not the same individual.
3: Okay. That's why I asked because I wasn't sure about that. and I wanted to make sure we had the right people here. How about David McDonald?
4: Well, David used to be the executive director before I took over.
3: Yes, and you're familiar with his Mile High Club. Yes, I am. Okay, Do I don't think talk? I don't think that's really egregious. By the way, I I think it's really kind of silly. But I know that a number of members of MUFON were kind of upset about that. Yeah, I,
4: I, you know, it's it, it, it's 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 more of a, of a marketing, uh, boy, if, in some sense. I mean, because what Dave does. He runs one of the, the world's largest FAA training schools for the government. So, you know, if it was such a problem, I'm sure the FAA would not uh, have authorized him to do that.
3: I'm just wondering, though, that when we look at the um, mission of MUFON, and we mm-hmm. understand we're dealing with a fringe organiz- i mean, a fringe phenomenon here. A lot of people look down their noses at anybody who deals with UFOs, and I'm just wondering if this sort of thing is helpful in uh, furthering the goals of the organization, a scientific organization.
4: Uh, What things in particular, specifically?
3: Well, I mean, uh, the the Mile High Club, you've got, uh, he's also on the board of directors, by the way, isn't he? Yes, he is. So he would have influence on um, the day-to-day, well, not the day-to-day operation, but the operations of MUFON and the things that you look at and the the places you want to go, uh, scientifically speaking.
4: David's been active in MUFON for over 10 years now. He's done quite a bit with the board and uh, in different positions. Uh, right now, he's working full-time and running three different businesses, uh, but uh, certainly does have input. Uh, but most everything gets run from MUFON by the executive director and the, and the very small staff we have here at MUFON. Everything else is uh, basically membership and people volunteering their time. I mean, we're blessed to have 4,000 members and uh, at least 500 of those are in positions of helping on a volunteer basis in our field investigator network as state directors, national directors, chief investigators, and state section directors. So we're just blessed to be able to do that with all we do with, with basically almost 100%
6: volunteer.
3: I, uh, And I appreciate all of that. But um – and I understand the inner circle is based on you're making a donation to MUFON, and I guess it's five thousand dollars a year to be on the inner circle. Uh, but uh, the thing that worries me about this is, according to what we see on the on the website, is that that inner circle does influence. Um, certain, you could say certain members of it, that they have contact with the highest levels of MUFON. And I would think that that would be something that might be a bit problematic, given the backgrounds of some of these people, especially when you want to be a scientific organization.
4: Yeah, but what you need to understand, Kevin, is most of these people don't attend our event. I mean, they don't all attend the events. They don't always take advantage of the opportunity. Uh, To be honest with you, anyone could pick up the phone and call MUFON and and speak with myself. So it's not like you need to pay five thousand dollars to be able to to, uh, to talk to Mufon. Um, I always encourage people to become members, though, because for four ninety nine a month, I mean, you can help support the uh, the work we do. Um, it costs money to have the computer systems we have uh, to maintain those, to have an office full time, to have uh, people on the phones working with uh, people all over the world who are be- encountering this phenomenon and having uh, issues with with that one way or another. Uh, we support probably ten. Uh, experiencers a day through our experiencer research team who are uh, interacting with the phenomenon and trying to deal with let, that and let, integrate let me, it.
3: The let me interrupt you right here because I'm, I'm running up against the uh, the break again. So we're going to have sure. to take a take a quick break here. We'll be back with Jan Harzon talking about MUFON and the direction of MUFON. Uh, type MUFON.com uh, into your oh. search engine and you'll be able to find... Uh, their website and talk to them about that Uh, for more information about some of the things we're talking about here today, check at uh, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and we will be back right after this. So please stick around. If you stuck around like I suggested uh, you should, then we are back and you know that. I'm uh, joined by John Harzan, who is the executive director of MUFON. We were talking about the inner circle of MUFON, which is a, um, I guess, more of a donation-driven thing than people j- be- being invited into the inner circle because of their expertise on UFOs. And I noticed some of the people on the inner circle, um, and I'm thinking of John Schuessler, for example, is a very credible source. Uh, Rob Zwiatek, very credible source. Um, uh, Teresa Lynn Lunge, Linge? Uh, T- Teresa Terry Linge. Uh, now, these are some very, very credible people, so it's not a bad thing um, being on the board of directors of MUFON. So, you know, we look at all of that sort of thing and try to figure out what's going on. Um, I think it really comes down to a question of how much influence would the inner circle uh, have on the operation of MUFON and the selection, for example, of the uh, speakers at the MUFON symposium, which I guess is coming up in July?
4: That's correct. Uh, July 21st through the 23rd at the JW Marriott in Las Vegas, Nevada.
3: And uh, this year's uh, uh, theme is
4: the case for a secret space program. So we're looking, uh, you know, when we look at our cases throughout a year, we we generally, after investigation, have about 30 percent of them that fall into the unknown category. So the question you have to ask yourself, well, are those truly unknowns or is it possible they're misidentified aircraft and or spacecraft uh, that uh, belong to either ourselves or some other country? So. We're looking at that whole thing and, and some of the evidence out there that might say that we do have a secret space program going on. Uh, if so, how extensive is it? And we've got the full spectrum of uh, speakers, everything from the hard scientists who are going to be looking at this, as well as some tough researchers, as well as some you know, far out uh, people who are claiming it's quite extensive. So we're, we're going to put all the evidence out there, challenge people to question it, uh, ask questions about it, talk to the people and make up their own minds for whether or not there really is a secret space program or multiple space programs going on right now uh, on our planet.
3: Well, some of the speakers you said yourself are kind of far out. Um, yeah. And what sort of evidence do they present to make their case? I mean, is it good solid evidence or is it more of the the kind of esoteric, um, vague stuff that we get, uh, fer- periodically. And I, I, again, I'm thinking of this latest MJ 12 document, which is, I think fairly obviously a fake. Uh, I think that, uh, I know Stan when he first looked at it was kind of excited about it, but he tended to walk back from that point uh, a couple of days later, suggesting that we spend more time trying to vet the, vet the document. So I'm just wondering, do we have any really good solid evidence for some of the, the far out points or are we still talking about kind of some of the vagueness that we, we get?
4: Well, we're, we're going to start on Friday night with John Brandenburg, who is a plasma physicist and has been a contract uh, contractor for NASA for a number of years. And I, I had an opportunity to meet John at a, uh, Estes Park uh, Advanced Propulsion Workshop put on by the Space Studies Institute, Gary Hudson and James Woodward uh, just a few months back. Um, and he's going to talk about some of the information he's been given on the inside within NASA based on some of the contracts he's worked on. So we're going to get a glimpse there from a scientist's viewpoint of life and then follow that up Saturday morning with James Woodward, who's been pushing this whole advanced propulsion uh, concept, which you can actually read more about on the SSI uh, website at ssi.org under advanced propulsion. And there were about 30 scientists who met in Estes Park, Colorado, back in October and presented papers to each other. We're looking at the uh, general theory of relativity and Maxwell's equations and trying to figure out how they tie into gravitation so that we might be able to build interstellar craft to the stars. And uh, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm excited about these guys because uh, they're doing this with zero funding. In most cases or very little funding uh, where most of the dollars are being ported to the black world as well. Uh, uh, sure
3: Jan, van- Jan, I have to order you. Get back to your microphone. You're fading in and out on me again.
4: Okay. All right. Am I all good now? Okay. Yes, you're
3: good now. Thank you. Okay.
4: All right, and then, and then we're going to follow that up right after that with uh, Michael Schrat and Mark McCandlish and Dr. Bob Wood, um, who are going to talk about current cases, current things, and how, how do they keep all this secret, uh, but also some inside information that has been gleaned through the aerospace industry uh, through the years. Uh, and then on late Saturday, we'll bring on William Tompkins, who is, uh, I think, 94 years old now and has worked for the U.S. Navy. He, he worked for Rand Corporation back in the 40s wrote a book called Selected by Extraterrestrials, where he has detailed his last 50, 60 years working in these different projects. Um, and then on Sunday morning, we're going to get into Michael Sala and his book on uh, the whole Secret Space Program and uh, Corey Good uh, and some of these folks. So I think if people are having challenges, that's probably with the Corey Goods of the world um, and perhaps uh, Andrew Peshago, uh because they're saying things that are hard to basically find the evidence for but that doesn't mean evidence doesn't exist for instance in Corey's case uh, he speaks about uh, having gone forward in time 20 years and then regressed backwards Um, as we've done some research in this and specifically dr bob wood has been doing quite a bit of research into this uh, there are a number of military uh, projects that we're looking at Jan,
3: Jan, talk talk to your microphone talk to your microphone please
4: okay no, I'm I'm speaking right directly into it, but okay, I wonder if it's bouncing okay. off. Let me do one thing here. One second, let's adjust something.
3: Well, why why you're adjusting something? And I hope you can hear me. Uh, you're talking about a fellow who claims that he he traveled forward in time twenty years. What sort of evidence does he present to prove that he'd actually done that?
4: Well, I think we're we're, we're looking forward to that evidence being presented at the symposium. I mean, that's what he's there for.
3: Well, I know that in, in the past, and, and I, I hesitate to bring up Hanger 1 again, but uh, one of the episodes dealt with a guy who claimed that he had been abducted when he was a teenager, spent 20 years fighting aliens on other planets, I think specifically Mars, and then he was returned to his bed 15 minutes after he'd supposedly been abducted, uh, so everything was normal, and here was a whole episode built around this guy, and it, it just seems highly incredible. And I, and I wondered why Mufon would be involved in something like that. And it sounds like we're moving back into that arena where we've got another guy who claims that he's traveled in time. And if he's done that, why doesn't he know the score of the Super Bowl and make himself extremely rich?
4: and letting you and I know about it, right? That'd be a good thing to do. <laughs> well, I, here's why: because on the Secret Space program, if you read the books that are out there today, and there's a number of them, uh, these are some of the folks who are mentioned in those books. So. Uh, we're looking at the scientists, like I said. We're looking at the hardcore researchers, as I said, and we're looking at the people who are on the far edges of this of this phenomenon. So we're trying to put the whole thing in one place where people can come to one conference and hear everything and then make up their own minds. So but doesn't,
3: question, does, doesn't that really harm Mufon by putting putting credible, qualified people on the on the stage next to people who I mean, from, from some points of view, might be a little bit uh, off-center. Uh, it, it wouldn't it detract from the overall credibility of MUFON?
4: I don't think so. I think what, what it does is it lets people uh, make up their own minds, so to listen to the information. And I think Aristotle himself said you know, the, the sign of an intelligent mind is being able to listen to something without accepting it as being true necessarily. So you have to be willing to listen and ask the tough questions and that's really what we're doing. We're putting a forum on here for people to share all the information that's out there about this secret space program, which right now is quite uh, a big topic among a lot of people, not just in the UFO community, but people who want to know what's happening.
3: Was the uh, whole board of directors of MUFON on board with this with this uh, roster of speakers? No, the
4: board doesn't get involved in setting up the symposium. That's not what their job is. Their job is to oversee the, the uh, nonprofit and to uh, basically uh, review. No, my the-
3: my question my question was was the board on was the board of directors uh, happy about the the selection of the speakers for the symposium? I mean, they could have their personal opinions. Yeah, I don't I don't think
4: you could say they're happy or unhappy. They, they 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 are aware of who the speakers are. I mean, a lot of them would like to hear some of these people to hear what they have to say. I mean, I mean, if you shut people down without listening to them, I think that's that's even worse than uh, the other side of the equation. So you, you have to be willing to open your mind up and listen to it and weigh it up based on what other information you have and what you know, and then make up your own mind. We're not telling people what to think. We're not telling people how to think. We're just saying, here's the information. Use it as you will. Um, but we're also hoping that this will spark uh, deep research into some of these areas. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. For instance, Michael Schratz going to be sharing uh, the structure of some of these crafts that are being seen in our database, that he believes are built by our military, our intelligence community, based on the structures we're seeing on the outside of these crafts versus perhaps what could be considered extraterrestrial craft, which tend to be very, very smooth and seamless construction. I think that's an inter- interesting subject and an area to
3: follow through on. And, and I would agree. I think that sounds like a fine subject. But we're, but we're also moving into an area where there's, there's fringe uh, um, people talking about it. And and I'm very bothered by this guy who says that he's moved forward and backward in time. Um, And I know that there's a such a thing as having your mind. So open your brains fall out. And I don't know what kind of evidence you could present to prove that you traveled into the future, other than providing an accurate prediction of where the future is going to go. And I don't see any of that ever happening when people who claim to have been to the future. So I just wonder why you would want to give someone with that kind of a claim, a forum, even though there might be people who are interested in that.
4: Well, actually, there's going there to be quite a bit much more revealed, and I don't want to go and spoil his presentation, but there's quite a lot of other evidence that's going to be presented at the symposium. So if you really want to know, Kevin, I'd get a ticket, and I'd get over to the symposium, and I'd, I'd listen to his talk and see what he has to say.
3: So you're comfortable with the fringe elements on, on the platform with uh, the other people?
4: I'm comfortable with with letting people share what they believe to be true and letting the intelligent audience that we attract make up their own minds on what's real, what's not real. Um, I'm I'm not trying to tell people how to think or what to think. I'm really trying to put the whole story together. And that's, that's how this whole symposium was packaged. It was packaged to say, okay, what is the case for a secret space program? Does it exist? Does it not exist? If it does exist... To what extent does it exist? Is it just something near Earth orbit or is it something intergalactic? Uh, There's a lot of questions here that I think are fascinating and people are going to be delving deep into for many, many years to come.
3: Are you suggesting by what you've just said there that speakers on your symposium are going to suggest that we have engaged in the interstellar flight, meaning we have gone somewhere?
4: Yeah, it's very possible. I mean, honestly, I can tell you that the scientists that we've put on uh, the, the subject area—they're um, working to make that a, a reality, and they believe that they can have some breakthroughs here in the next ten to twenty years. That'll actually have us going interstellar as, as a civilization, and I—I'm I'm rooting for these guys because honestly, the faster we get out there, the faster we're going to find out what the truth is behind UFOs.
3: In my opinion. Oh, I'm all for I'm all for interstellar flight. I'm I'm a big proponent of it. I just understand some of the problems with interstellar flight and the vast distances between the stars. Uh, as we move into space, uh, we're going to have to take another uh, quick break here. I'm with Jan Harzan, who is the executive director of MUFON, and you can email him if you so desire at the uh, Jan. I'm sorry. E- ex-, ex.
4: Go ex- ahead. E- you say that, it. Yeah. Yeah, it's exe for executive.dir for director at mufon.com. exe.dir at mufon.com.
3: And take a look at the MUFON website. Just type MUFON into your search engine, and it'll come up like in seven billion different places. So you easily can get to their their website. And I have a lot of stuff about. Uh, the UFOs and things we're talking about today like the new MJ-12 document at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com so we'll return after this short break with more about the MUFON Symposium and where things are going so stick around And as promised at the, last, at the end of the last segment, we are back. And you people just have no idea what a task it was to make sure we were back. It, uh, we had a few technical glitches here that uh, were sort of exciting, I suppose. When we left, we had been talking about the Move On Symposium at the uh, number of speakers who would be there, who all would be there. What some of their expertise was, and that some of them, I would consider somewhat fringe, and maybe not the best speakers for a scientifically oriented symposium. But I have no influence, and it's up to it's up to Mufon to decide who um, they want to invite to their symposium and what platforms they want them to uh, to endorse. When we um, – I think we kind of finished with the symposium. Is there Was was there any other comments you wanted to make about the uh, the symposium and the people who would be there?
4: Well, just if people want to find out more about it, they can go to MUFONsymposium.com and all the information is there. Or just go to our website, MUFON.com, and click on the uh, menu bar under where it says symposium, and, and they'll get all the information they'd like to know about it.
3: Okay. Okay. That sounds fair to me. Uh, we had talked briefly – and when I say we had talked, that was you and I in email had talked briefly about uh, with the Mars program that the MUFON is involved That's with, correct. which does not mean a trip to Mars, but it means this.
4: <laughs> it could be that fun. It could be that fun. Yeah.
3: But Mars, it means.
4: Go ahead. I can, I can explain what it is if you'd like, but go ahead. Please go ahead. Yeah. So, so Mars, uh, about three years ago, I had announced that we were going to try to build a, a global UFO database. Um, which would have all the information in it on all the different cases and everything that we've uh, had through time and have collected in our files. Um, This is now morphed into a uh, acronym called MARS, the MUFON Anomaly Research and Reporting System. And it's basically a large database that people will be able to access through their computer online. And we'll have inside of that, all of our CMS cases. Uh, We have all of our Pandora cases, which were all the cases from 1969 through about 1989. Uh, that were in uh, 19 four-door files in uh, Walt's old uh, garage when he first started MUFON and spent 30 years doing this. Uh, we'll have uh, the Lens-Stringfield files. We'll have all sorts of information that, uh, frankly, people have never seen before uh, when we finally get it built and can complete it, So uh, we're really looking forward to having this repository built, and uh, on top of that will be our, our case management system as people report stuff that will go directly into this database.
3: I would assume that to access this file, this system, you ha- have to be a member of MUFON.
4: Well, I think we're going to provide information generally to the public, but it, but to delve into some of the more uh, detailed files that have been in our drawers for thirty years plus, uh, yeah, I think you're going to need to be a member. That hasn't actually been worked out yet, Kevin. We're we're looking at how to how best do that. So we want to give people lots of information, but um, I think for some of the people who want to are hardcore researchers who are MUFON members. Um, they may get a deeper, deeper dive than some other folks. Yes. Uh,
3: is there going to be a re-examination of these cases? because I have to assume that if you've got cases from 1969 or 1968 in the drawers, some of them would have been solved by our, our, our greater knowledge now or information that has been released by the government, and so something like that. So some of the cases that may have originally been unidentified may in fact have been solved. Is there going to be any kind of review of the cases before they're stuck into the database?
4: Well, Yes, yeah, so every case is going to be reviewed, but more from a standpoint of redacting uh, any witness information that might be in there. Um, we, in the old days, we used to do it all by hand, and we would write out the forms with the addresses and phone numbers and names of the individuals. So that needs to be redacted um, in the public uh, view of this thing. We'll have, we'll have all the documents scanned fully, uh, but we, we're, we don't want to give out people's personal information on the Internet, obviously. Um, So so it'll be that way. Now, as far as going back and reinvestigating these cases, that's really up to uh, individuals who'd like to do that. I mean, we don't have the staff to be able to go back through thousands of cases and uh, try to reinvestigate them at the present time. But certainly if you find something you think has information, you can pass it along to us and we'll include that in the case file. Definitely.
3: So um, everything's going to be there. The the names are being left out and I get that. Um, Yeah. The Air Force, when they... Declassified Project Blue Book did the same thing, but they didn't do a very good job of it. And What I think <laughs> of is the Kenneth Arnold sighting. Uh, they even uh, uh, redacted his initials, K.A., in the interviews conducted with him. But in Grease Pencil, on one of the, fo- one of the um, um, transcripts, they had written in big letters, Arnold case which kind of uh-huh. gave the whole thing away. And, and in other cases, they had newspaper clippings, so they redacted the names of the people and from their files, but the names were in the newspapers, so you could you could plug them back in. And I know Don Berliner did it, and I did it. We had yep. gone through the Blue Book files before they had been redacted, and we had all the names. Sure. So we sure. could put the names back into the cases, especially the unidentified cases, which were very important, so that others yes. could, could talk about it. But I understand wanting to take people's names out of it because... And I've said this before in other places. Bill Brazel complained to me about the, the drunks calling him at three o'clock in the morning, asking about the Roswell case to see, well, did you really say that or not? And, and um, in today's environment, you've got people who just have no social graces and That's would true. call somebody at three o'clock in the morning and say, did you really say this? Did you really mean this? Or you are scum for saying this or something like that. So sure. I get that. I get that. But you're also saying that. um for the hardcore researchers and the members of MUFON, the names would be available, but not necessarily online.
4: Oh, no, 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 no. We wouldn't make the names available to, to anyone. I mean, uh, that's only, f- I mean, our director of research might be able to see the names. You know, our director of investigation might be able to see the names, but it would it'd be very limited. We're not going to make the names available to, to, the, to the public or, or even to the membership, um, because a lot of these people, you know, gave these reports the idea that they wanted to remain anonymous. Now, it does bring up a good question, though, and that is how long should things uh, remain anonymous? I mean, you, in the government, what is it, 25 years, if something's classified, that it becomes declassified?
3: Not necessarily. It depends on the document. Some sure. of them are Some of them are classified in perpetuity. Uh, there is documents from World War One that are still classified.
4: Right, and in the case of UFO files, like you were mentioning some of the Blue Book files, I would imagine since most of these cases happened in the 60s uh 50s and 60s that many of those people who reported are no longer alive so even if you had their address phone numbers and everything else it wouldn't wouldn't lead you very much very far honestly
3: but it helps. It helps you verify that these people were real. That the the case wasn't some kind of hoax being perpetrated on uh, on right. the Air Force or whomever. Exactly. And, and it's very important to have the provenance for the information. And that too often is the stumbling block in UFO research. We don't. And and this new MJ12 document is a perfect example. We don't know where it came from. Actually, all we right. know is it was given to Heather Wade, and she put it up on their website at Midnight in the Desert. And we know really nothing more other than what's in the document itself, which smacks of hoax. But we don't sure. know we don't know anything else about it. So without that sort of specific information, sometimes it's very hard to. Uh, make a good case for either this object being extraterrestrial or it being some kind of a hoax. And and, uh, the name, the names are going to be kept. It's not like the blue book files where they've redacted them and you can't really get back to them unless you had earlier access to it.
4: Yeah, Uh, no, the the names will be definitely in the files. And, you know, we have had researchers in the past, uh, perhaps even yourself, who've contacted us and asked for on a specific case, can I get in touch with that witness? And what we generally do is we reach out to the witness and say, Hey, we have a request here from, you know, Kevin Randall, who is so-and-so and and he would like to look at your case. Would it be okay if we gave him your name and number, or could we give you his name and number and you could contact him? Um, And so we don't mind doing that. You know, if it's a real researcher doing real good research, we don't have a problem. We just don't want the general public, like you say, calling people up at three in the morning and and harassing them. That's not a good thing.
3: Yeah. And like I said, I understand that. So, uh, But that, that system is to, I guess, digitize, the Mars system is to digitize everything and get it uh, available on a much wider scale than it is now.
4: Absolutely. You know, when I first joined MUFON, uh, you know, maybe 30 years ago, we got involved with it. Um, you know, the, it, MUFON was known as the black hole. You know, you would send in your reports and never hear from them again. Um, and part of that was just because we did, the computers weren't in, in big use back then. We didn't have the personal computer. Um, and a lot of the stuff were in four-door filing cabinets, you know, in, in a garage, um, and so to go through 19 four-door files and try to find that one document was not an easy thing to do. Well, now with technology and scanning all these documents uh, with just a few keywords, you can turn up anything you want on any given subject. And you can double-check other sightings that might have happened at the same time. Um, it's going to be a real step forward, I think, for our ufology and for research into this whole field. Honestly, I do believe that.
3: Well, I think we're just really basically out of time here. Okay. I'd like, I'd like to thank you for taking time and the patience for for us today on uh, a different perspective. Uh, as I said, it's John Harzan is the executive director of MUFON. Take a look at mufon.org for more information about the organization, and take a look at um, the the symposium on their their menu bar, and you can find out everything that you want about it. If you want more information about some of the things we talked about today and some of the uh, uh, other Information available. Look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and if you're looking for stuff on the MJ12 document, I've got a lot of that on my blog, of course. Now, Uh, the book Roswell in the 21st Century. I did a 50 or 60 page uh, appendix of it with some 175 footnotes about my opinions on the validity of the MJ12 documents and the fact that. Bill Moore was the recipient of the document through Jamie Shandera. Uh, and, but Bill Moore had announced at the MUFON Symposium in 1989 in Las Vegas that he had been a disinformation agent for the United States Air Force at one time. So I'm not sure how valid we can take anything he said about anything, uh, given all of that sort of thing. Uh, we will be back next week with another show about UFOs, the paranormal and the unusual uh, discussing these sorts of things so that we can kind of sh- uh, shine a light. I was going to spread a light. Shine a light on the topic and maybe provide, in essence, a different perspective on all of this sort of thing because um, the best way to understand what is going on is to have access to all the information that is available. So I would suggest that you uh, tune in next week and listen to what we have to say about UFOs. And I will be back with my perspective, which is a different perspective in 167 hours.